Welcome to the Queer Movie Podcast, celebrating the best and worst in LGBTQ plus cinema, one glorious genre at a time. I'm Rowan Ellis. And I'm Jazza John. Each episode, we discuss a movie from a different genre of cinema. This episode's genre is... Queer Western! Western. Uh, I swear. (laughs) This episode, we're talking about a movie that we were inevitably going to come across at some point in this podcast. It was a game changer for queer cinema and representation, and we're still feeling its ripples today. It's the 2005 Ang Lee neo-Western Brokeback Mountain. I'm not crying. You're crying. But inevitable tears aside, Rowan, as always, I've got to ask you, what's the gayest thing that's happened to you since the last episode? So not to like peel back the curtain and reveal the inner workings of the podcast gang, mm. but um, we do record these a little bit before they, you are going to have access to them. So the queerest thing that I've done since I last recorded was... Well, I didn't write a book, but I announced that I'd written a book. Mm-hmm. Here and Queer, A Queer Girl's Guide to Life. And very exciting. Available for pre-order on all good book stores. Thank you so much, PR Jazza. You're welcome. But I just looked up, and I'm pretty sure if all goes to plan, um, this podcast is going to be coming out the week before release day. So you've got a week left to pre-order to confirm you will actually be able to buy it after the release day, kind of how books work. But yeah, <laughs> it's basically like a growing up guide for queer girls and... Yeah, I think it's good. <laughs> Excellent. That was me. Jazza, what about you? What's your gayest thing? I pre-ordered Here and Queer. Oh, ding, ding, ding. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm actually, I'm very happy. That, yeah, that's the queerest thing I did. Love that. In the last For few weeks, me I'll and be completely you. honest. Yes, excellent. This is now just a, a Rowan Ellis stand account. I'm okay with this. So, so am I. <laughs> uh, cool, let's get on with the episode i guess <laughs> the shortest queer cool. thing that we've done bada bing, bada boom. T- not the shortest for me but yeah it took a long time to write mate i did that's a fair point so first we're going to give a little bit of background of the short story the movie is based on and the film's journey to being produced of course, touching on that controversial Oscars decision. We will be splitting the film into three acts. Yes, one of them is still the party in its aftermath for me. Um, and then we'll be taking you through an analysis of the plot. Yeehaw. Can I just say, Jazza wrote that into the script. <laughs> I did. And then clearly regretted it <laughs> and gave such a half-hearted yeehaw! And it was disappointing for all involved. Mm-hmm. Finally, we'll give the movie our very special gay ratings, as always. We will be spoiling all of this movie. So if you haven't watched one of the most impactful queer movies of all time, you should go and watch it. I'm looking at you, Zoomers. Get off TikTok. Oh my god. (laughs) Shake's fist. Uh, So without further ado, saddle up for our review of Broke Fat Mountain. (laughs) Broke Back Mountain is based on a short story that was released in the New Yorker in 1997, written by the the short storyist and novelist Annie Prule. I actually, I've never said her name out loud. I have no idea if that's the correct way of saying it. I've always pronounced it Peru, but I don't know why. Hmm, Excellent. Things that Rowan and Jazza should have Googled before starting recording. Mm, The most embarrassing thing is I did this short story, the collection that ended up being in close range at university for one of my summative essays. So I fully should know how to pronounce this woman's name, but I don't. 
Amazing. It's okay. All of the exa- none of the exams are oral anyway. It's all written down. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah, no shame on you. So Annie seems like as a as a as a writer seems like an absolute uh, hoot who takes herself incredibly seriously and hates everyone else. And I'm I'm one hundred percent here for it. So apparently, when the screenwriters came to her to option it to shop it around Hollywood. Um, she was like, well, I don't see what any of the appeal is, but I guess you can try if you want, apparently very coldly. Um, and then a few years later, when uh, her version of Brokeback Mountain was uh, included in kind of like some short, short story collections after the success of the movie, she was asked, I kind of like, as you would when one of your pieces of work had been converted into like one of the most influential films of all time. I think you can easily say that. Um, she was asked, how has Brokeback Mountain changed your experience? And she just dove into a tirade against fanfic, essentially. Iconic. Legend. Goes into the fact that people are breaking her copyright, that people who write, write these fanfics and send them to her are just basically Sick writing Sick little porn. sexy freaks. Oh my God, I absolutely love it. She did an interview with the Wall Street Journal um, and she said, the film is a source of constant irritation in my yeah. private life. <laughs> oh my gosh. She's never going to let it go. <laughs> I, 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 I just love how blunt she was. And then she wrote for like maybe two, 200, 300 words about how inconvenient it was having so many like rabid fans of the short story to the point where she was like, I could write more, but I'll end here in the interview that she did. It was really quite brilliant. Uh, the just that she had. That said... Um, uh, even though this ended up being such a successful film, when this was going around and being shopped around to try and find a director, stars and a team, it was actually relatively hard to to kind of like get funding for it. Surprise, surprise, a, a gay movie in um, the early 2000s about cowboys. Um, who'd have thought that was difficult? But they eventually ended up obviously finding Ang Lee, Jake Gyllenhaal and the late great Heath Ledger, which is how you have to say his name all of the time. Mm-hmm. That's true. There was this really wonderful um, long interview with one of the screenwriters, Diana Osana, in a podcast that we'll link in the show notes, where she really offered a peek into an alternate universe where there were different directors and different stars of the film. Do you want me to kind of like throw some of those your way? Oh yeah, give me some examples. Okay, so at the time, they were kind of shopping this around all of like the young bucks of Hollywood mm-hmm. at the time. What a, way um, of, what a way of describing them, sure. You, <laughs> I feel like broadly accurate. So Matt Damon and Ben Affleck were approached. Oh, together? No, 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 no. <laughs> that would have been, I feel like that would have been watching brothers fuck on screen. No, thank you. <laughs> I mean, there is a niche for that, though. That's true. That fanfic strikes again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Absolutely disgusting. Um, Walking Phoenix, who I think would okay. have been absolutely amazing. Ennis was apparently the hardest one to cast, just because of like the reserved nature of, mm. of Heath Ledger's character. And it was really wonderful to hear Osana talk about um how they had another an American actor in the things who she didn't actually really want to do it. Um, and she was just waiting for the actor to drop out. And we th- and I think allegedly i'm alleging mm-hmm. i think it was christian bale oh okay from what from the, the way box. that she talks about it yeah 100 and so 
this person who definitely wasn't Christian Bale dropped out because of other commitments uh, and then uh, she parachuted in. Wait, did uh, you say it was an American Kirk. actor? Yes. Oh, Christian Bale is, an, is yeah, he's British? Yeah, he's British. I, think, I don't know these things. I've disowned him. <laughs> it, was, it was not... All Jazza can say is it was not Christian Bale. <laughs> it was an actor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, it was an actor. Someone who acted. The most absolute buck wild uh, person who was apparently uh, in the mix here is Mark Wahlberg. There's a there's a there's a different timeline in which Mark Wahlberg becomes the darling of Hollywood after starring in Brokeback Mountain. Brokeback Mountain. One her, or his career tanks because then he gets cast as the as the gay cowboy for the rest of his career. Mm. You know, or maybe or he Mark ruins Wahlberg. Brokeback Mountain. Actually, no I think it's it. probably the most likely of these uh, eventualities. Oh, incredible. <laughs> so obviously this ended up being directed by Ang Lee who's done like um, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, Life of Pi, etc. In another universe this was directed by Almodovar, the Spanish director, um, who is well known for kind of like bright colours and like really passionate sex. And I, it would have basically been kind of like Picasso-esque porn, I think. Mm. I would love to see that movie, but it would definitely have been a different movie if Almodovar had uh, made this. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I feel like we'd had, you know, Ang Lee, he directed Sense and Sensibility, for example. Like, I feel like going with the with Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon as the example might be a bit like, hmm, what a weird choice to then direct a quiet uh, romance movie. But the fact that he did do Sense and Sensibility and he also did The Wedding Banquet. Yeah. He's had like a wild career. Like he's he's not one to be typecast and I kind of love that. Yeah, he's him. legit one of my favourite directors. Um, So apparently it was Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, which was the film that got him this job because mm. of his uh, attention to kind of like scenes and, yes, and, and that makes um, a lot of sense. landscapes and stuff. But when they called him up initially, Ang Lee was in the process of directing the 2003 Hulk movie. Classic. Um, and they were like, oh, that is a left turn. <laughs> Crouching <laughs> Tiger, Hidden Dragon. You really just slipped in there with yeah. a Marvel movie at the point where Marvel was not exactly a hot property. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, this is just kind of like uh, the journey towards actual kind of like production that it made. Um, and Rowan, you have some stuff around kind of like how it was received. Did people like the gay cowboy movie? Yeah, so I received this movie for the first time as a 14-year-old. You received it? Yes, I, you know, you're like how it was received. This is oh, how I received I it. I get it. Okay, cool, 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 cool. So I watched this movie for the first time when I was 14 on a German exchange where my <laughs> my German exchange, uh, exchange girl at her house was really, like, she was just, I think, acted bored by everything. And she was just like, yeah, me and my friend, I'm not going to do the accent, but imagine this in a German accent. Oh, I will. No, don't worry. Um, she was like, you know, me, whatever, like me and my, oh yeah, that movie, me and my friends watched it. It was like, fine. It was whatever. And then she was like, but you can watch it if you want. I've got like a copy like that she'd illegally streamed or downloaded on her computer or whatever. And she was like, I've got to do homework. You can just sit and watch that. And I, like, she turned around two hours later and I was like fucking sobbing on her bed, like <laughs> trying to play it cool. Cause she was like this cool, like fun German it girl who was just like, yeah, it was just like a really lame movie. And I was just like, <laughs> my heart, yeah, so my soul. Lame. <laughs> and I feel like that was probably a quite universal experience for everyone who saw this movie. Okay, so here's here's what happened. Interestingly, Jazza um, had kind of suggested to me one of the things I could talk about was the straight baiting in the posters. 
So this is something that was actually has been brought up more recently because someone made a post on Twitter with some of the posters that were made for the movie, which showed the men with their wives. But here's the thing, though. This wasn't straight baiting. This was a tiny, tiny portion Mm. of what was, in fact, an extremely gay marketing campaign. It was actually very difficult to find where those posters of the men with their wives, who obviously are partaking in a homosexual relationship as the main part of the movie. Yeah. And so I think it's really interesting because so many people have written articles like in the last year or so about this as if it was a thing at the time and extrapolated out from that the idea of like, you know, 2005 was a different time. It was homophobic. Like they had to do it in order to get people to watch the movie. Not what happened at all. Um, When you go back and actually look at coverage from 2005 because obviously you know 2005 was a while ago it wasn't too long the stuff is on the internet that was going out then like people Mm -hmm. were blogging about it one headline in in 2005 was brokeback mountains no bull marketing scheme the gay cowboy love story isn't pulling any punches with its promotion like it very clearly was like this is this is what's actually going on and Ang Lee specifically talked to the press about the fact that he was looking forward in the marketing to marketing it like what it is, not something it's not. Very much the idea was we are going to be talking about this as being the gay cowboy movie in, you know, more subtle (laughs) ways, but the gay not being more subtle. Mm -hmm. And so like the trailer for the movie showed this like super intense embrace. It had the line, I wish I knew how to quit you in it. They're Mm -hmm. like, the tagline was love is a force of nature. Like it was very much was like, hey, it's going to be gay. But even though it became this extremely successful movie and something that's very um, applauded, before it got released to the general public, there were some questions about how well it would perform. So it was a hard sell because of the gay thing. That that mm-hmm. can't be denied. But it was slightly easier because it was a bit different. So it had a good hook to it. It had a pretty incredible film festival circuit. It went through like Telluride, Venice, Toronto. But that didn't necessarily mean much when a lot of films you do that do well at festivals never really penetrate the mainstream. And so we see at the time with the coverage in 2005, kind of before we get to Oscar season, this split between people who pegged it as an Oscar contender mid to late 2005, and then those who sort of dismissed it as destined to gain a modest box office release and then fade into obscurity, which was backed up by the fact that the production house, like they were not considering putting it into a lot of theatres. It was going to have quite a modest release. Uh, They were testing it out. So specifically, they decided that they were going to test out in the cities which had big gay populations and kind of caught them. So San Francisco, Brighton. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) New York, LA. And they (laughs) didn't really court the gay press because the idea was that like if there were gay people in those cities, they'd heard about this film. Like it already had been shown, but they didn't put out any TV ads. They only released in a very small handful of theatres and it ended up being the highest per screen average that they had ever recorded for non-animated pictures. Mm. So anything that wasn't like completely universal, a ton of kids going to see it, something that was a 15 rated or an R rated was kind of unheard of. Mm. So this whole thing is really, the, the thing is really interesting because it was it was this story of something that had some hope behind it, but ultimately was kind of being very conservative because it was almost the first time that something like this had had happened. It's been noted by a few kind of critics that to have this sort of uh, sleeper hit kind of come from nowhere 
and be queer at the same time. Like there were sleeper hits that came from nowhere, but to be queer at the same time was sort of wild. Uh, the only time it happened before was with The Crying Game, but that specifically mm. had worked, like this kind of coming from obscurity to make a big splash had worked specifically because they concealed the queer element of that movie. It's kind of treated as a plot twist. And so people would go and see it who would probably have not if they'd have known what the film contained. And so this was really one of the first times that we had like an openly gay movie that had such huge box office success. So it, I mean, basically like the box office performance, it's gained $178 million worldwide, making it the highest grossing release for focus features. Mm. I will say there was a very funny article that wasn't meant to be funny, but I found it really funny because they were trying to explain why you know, reasons why this this movie shouldn't have done well and like blah, 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 and people being put off. And it just, this is quote, romances appeal mostly to women. And then in brackets, and women have not in the past shown much interest in watching men kiss other men. And I was like, <laughs> oh, sweetheart. Like a, someone oh, has not been on the- 2005. Someone's not been on the internet. And in 2005 Bless. too, for shame. I do really understand why kind of like the straight baiting posters why that's done the rounds because i do really love the idea of tricking homophobes into watching a gay movie and taking their dollars and just kind of like running off and cackling into the distance mm -hmm. but i like that context i did think that it was a little bit sus because there are so many like the majority of the movie posters are kind of like oh yeah it's it's jake jingle and, and mm. eve ledger like that makes total sense I, and i did want to check because I, I knew that a lot of the posters i'd seen were the ones that had them had the the boys the lads on it but it also had mention of the uh, oscar nominations and so mm. i wasn't sure whether that was like a post oscar thing where they'd done the campaign everyone now knew it was a gay cowboy movie so they could talk about it openly but no seemingly from from months pre-release when ang lee was talking about it it was known as the gay cowboy movie, essentially. And so basically it became this phenomenon where they were slowly releasing it in more and more cities and more and more states, including the states that they previously thought would just be no-go zones in terms of being red states, in terms of being more conservative. And they made a big deal in the marketing campaign as they were going along about the idea that there were positive reviews coming from everywhere, not just from these like select sort of gay cities. And they ended up using the tagline, uh, one movie is connecting with the heart of America, obviously being a sort of a double meaning of like the heart of America being like the, that kind of heartland. We wouldn't have expected this to have been the case. And also that the physical heart, metaphorical heart, very cute. Oh, so poetic. So poetic. So the original plan was they wanted to open in 300 theaters by the end of January. Uh, when in fact, by the start of January, they were in over 480. So wow. it was very, very cool. And also managed to break the box office top 10 without any TV ads that also mm -hmm. was an incredible achievement. So there were a few places that tried to do articles that were like, what real cowboys think about this like sissy I've shit, seen basically. Them as well. yeah. And what was really interesting was, for the most part, there were some guys who were just kind of like a bit like, eh, you know, not really for me, nothing, not really anything to do with me. There were a few gay cowboys who were interviewed who were worried that it would spark homophobia within the community. But the the most prominent cowboy that they interviewed, Ty Murray, who is straight, but was like the seven time world champion cowboy, because that's a thing you can be, like welcomed the movie. He basically said, the quote was, I think it's something that's now just being more understood. Hopefully this movie helps people further understand it. So he clearly, a guy who's very, within the community, knows there are gay cowboys and mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. potentially knows that there are gay cowboys who are having a difficult time, who are who need 
acknowledgement and support representation. Or, and representation. So it was really mm. interesting to see that. Because guess what? There were and are queer cowboys. Surprise, listeners. I won't go too much into it, but there was there was one example that I wanted to talk about. Because obviously, like, there were queer people ever in history, but I think I find the canonization of cowboy Wild West figures to be these like stoic, white, heterosexual, macho, able-bodied men. Very funny when the reality was so different. For example, there was a a cowboy, a pers- person in the Wild West called One-Eyed Charlie. Amazing. How many eyes did they have? One, turns out. Oh, oh, interesting. I wonder how they got that name. I know, right? So he was known as one of the fastest stagecoach drivers in the West and was also known as a man for his entire life, his entire career throughout the 1800s but was revealed after his death to have been assigned female at birth. So obviously, with all historic figures, it's kind of the same story. We don't know whether Charlie was what we would consider Mm -hmm. now to be like a trans man, trans mask, non-binary, or a cis woman kind of trying to take advantage of the freedom that came with being a man. It's, It's been suggested that he may have been the only person kind of assigned female at birth or who could be a woman who managed to vote basically before like women were allowed to vote oh my god i love that but we like we'll we'll never know because we can't ask them but it is just one example of the way that this kind of cis normative heteronormative idea of the world west is complete nonsense even though it still continues today so we have this more modern story than you know the 1800s in the story of Brokeback mountain and it still has this very intense macho kind of styling to it Mm. so yeah that was my extremely uh long-winded explanation of the way that the film we haven't talked about yet was received very well thank you that's all right um despite all of that positivity rowan i mean it went to the oscars Mm -hmm. uh the 78th oscars it won best director for ang lee it won uh the best adaptive screenplay by larry mcmurtry and diane arsana and best original score and the score is phenomenal Mm -hmm. like the soundtrack is just amazing it didn't win best picture rude i know uh a, a film that i have i only ever hear of in context around it beating uh, unfairly broke back mountain crash run that mm-hmm. year but what was it can you shed any light on to kind of like what it was like at the time in 2005 2006 when broke back mountain didn't win no oh okay so i can <laughs> oh go ahead jazz i've set i've set you up for us we're gonna hit there so basically, some of the behind the scenes, and with like 15 years of retrospective, apparently, so when you get, you basically go around and you shop your your picture around to be nominated and then to win um, the Academy Award and be on the award circuit. Apparently, when the team were going around and trying to kind of like promote it as a potential best picture winner, something that should be considered, there were loads of the established Hollywood kind of like guard, um, uh, people like Clint Eastwood uh, was mentioned by one of the screenwriters as somebody who they tried to talk about the film to, who I believe he's won two Best Picture Oscars, is incredibly influential in that space, had not watched the movie, like something like just before they were kind of like meant to put in their final votes. And uh, apparently it just didn't resonate Mm. as much with those kind of like established parts of Hollywood. And this was, I think, also before there was 
more of a call for there to be um, a bit more representation and a bit more diversity mm. and bravery in maybe best picture nominations and winners. It was also a dead genre by that point. Like it was not, mm-hmm. it was not a genre that Hollywood was particularly interested in. It kind of potentially were moving more into, I guess, what we see today is a lot of uh, pictures to do well in Hollywood are ones that are about Hollywood uh, or about mm-hmm. writing or about you know those kind of people. And I feel like it was just so far removed from the lives of people in Hollywood at the time, it doesn't doesn't necessarily mm-hmm. surprise me. Which is why they love shit like La La Land. Mm-hmm. They do. Hello, dear listener, Jazza here. Just popping in to quickly remind you that we are part of Multitude, a lovely little uh, collection of podcasts that try and make fun things that go in your ear holes. I am usually here to talk to you about some of the other wonderful podcasts available on the network, but today I'm going to promote something a little bit different. It is our Discord. People have been asking for it, and it's finally here. The Multitude Discord is live, free, and open to the public. That's you. So any fan of Multitude shows is welcome, and I would like to encourage you to join. If you don't know what Discord is, where have you been? You can think of it as a digital hub for an online community where you can come to discuss your favourite shows, stay up to date, um, share recipes, exchange book recommendations, form clubs, play games, meet a pen pal, bask in the glory of daily pet pictures and so much more in our many different channels. You can say hello to other Multitude fans and the hosts who hang out there, including myself and Rowan, and check out the live streams of games we do right on the Discord. And if you are a Multitude member, you get access to exclusive events and channels that feature crew-only polls, announcements, and also a very exclusive private lobby. If that sounds like fun to you, join our community page at multitude.productions/community. If you have been on the internet recently, then you've probably heard of Squarespace, who are supporting this here queer movie podcast. For the uninitiated, it's an all-in-one platform where you can build a brand and set up a business to absolutely thrive. You can pop with a beautifully crafted website, just like my co-host Rowan did with hers. I'm now going to embarrass Rowan a little bit by saying how snazzy her Squarespace is. It's bright, colourful, and a hub for all of the things that she has in the works, and she is a busy, busy lesbian, so it's the place where you can go to find out about her YouTube, her books, and how to even hire her as a speaker. Yes, that is possible for your parties, events bar mitzvahs, etc. As internet personalities, Rowan and I love the fact that you can use Squarespace to not just build a fancy website, but also connect all your social media in one place. You can also use it as a way to run your email campaigns, and I, for one, love fishing around in the data of our website traffic because I am what? A massive nerd. 
Does that sound good? You can take advantage of an exclusive promotional offer being made available on the Queer Movie Podcast and help support us as well. You just need to go to squarespace.com slash queermovie and when you're all set up and you're ready to make your digital business dreams come true, you can use the offer code QUEERMOVIE to save 10 whole percentage points off your first purchase of a website or domain. Help us out and make something cool. Who thought it was possible? Remember to go to squarespace.com slash queermovie to check it out. And now, back to the show. Let's dive into the actual plot, of which there isn't much. It's what, <laughs> right? It's it's kind of like I was trying to sum up stuff that was happening and I was like, yeah, that it's been 20 minutes and this is kind of what's happened. So I have called part one. I've realized I don't think I've actually figured out where I want to split the three parts yet, but I do know what part one is called. Okay, go for it. It's called Who Needs Lube Anyway? <laughs> for obvious reasons. Okay, I was I was maybe a bit more coy than you. Mine's called Good Old Fashioned Gay Fun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Similar, Similar vibes. vibes. So essentially, Jack, Jack Twist and Oh, Ennis oh no, Delmar. I can't deal with that. Please let that be the only accent we're going to do. I, I, I won't do it anyway. Maybe, maybe a maybe little. Maybe a little. Maybe, maybe just a snitch. Um, so they're too young. I believe they're they're nineteen years old. Um, looking for work as well. I should have knocked this on the head earlier in the podcast. Um, but they're actually not cowboys, Rowan. Oh, here we go. If anything, they're shepherds who like the idea of being cowboys. Okay. What do you? So is that just Jazz's opinion based on the fact that cow and boy is in the thing together and they don't interact with many cows, or have you? And neither of them are boys. Have you so fact checked this, or are you just? making opinions the original writer has also said they're not cowboys so annie prelude annie yeah the original writer our mate annie um who hates the fan pickers uh she said that they're not actually cowboys they're just kind of like playing at being cowboys yeah they're more um you know the, the god's own country kind of guys you know what i mean mm. looking after them lambs which is our gay cowboy yeah movie. Uh, if you yeah. haven't watched god's own country by the way everyone for the love of god's own country Go and watch it because which a is Yorkshire, fantastic. by the way. For the love yes. of Yorkshire, love of Yorkshire, <laughs> you should definitely go and watch that. Mm-hmm. So our, our boys are, are up there trying to get some workers, kind of like shepherds. They get given the work, go up to the mountain, and then gradually start opening up to one another mm-hmm. by the campfire. Yeah, they do. Oh dear! <laughs> it was the summer of 1963, and they were opening up to each other in every way possible. <laughs> I think I don't know why Jazz is laughing. That's just very it's just factual. It's just factual information about the first act of the movie. Thanks for breaking me this early into the plot. It's <laughs> really great. So they start off as quite standoffish. They kind of fall into these gender stereotypical roles where one of them has to go up, literally uh, has to commute up to the sheep, sleep with them during the night, and then come back down to camp. And the person in camp cooks and cleans, is basically the homemaker for them. So they fit into these two roles. Ennis is the homemaker and Jack is the the commuter, I guess. Um, <laughs> the commu- The office commuter. In the office commuter, I just enjoyed the fact that once he was like, I'm I'm commuting four hours a day. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I've never thought of commuting on a horse. And I just really like the idea. I'm sure it's less fun than it seems as somebody who has a 
three second commute from bed to desk mm-hmm. there's like a scene where jack's really annoyed that his dinner isn't like on the table when he gets back yes which is so funny and but the re- the best thing about it is it's not like oh the, it's not back because ennis is like i'm not your wife i'm not gonna cook it's because he just got interrupted by a bear <laughs> in a scene that lasts about 10 seconds he, he just kind of goes oh fuck a bear and then runs away and then he's like well, the bear got our food. Like, we not got any food. That was like the one piece of hot action that we got from this. Until the actual hot action. Uh, until the actual hot action. I mean, we're calling this a Western in the, the looser sense because it very much doesn't subscribe to like the archetypal Westerns mm. that we have. It just happens to be set, you know, up a mountain in the, the up old... Up a mountain in Wisconsin. Wild West. I'll stick with it because it, that's kind of what it's known as, but I'm... The genre was quite loose today. The Wikipedia calls it neo-Western. Yeah, we'll go with that. So basically, everything that happens in Act 1 is just a lot of montages over twanging music of them like herding sheep and cutting wood and shooting coyotes. And I have put down the question, is this the gay man equivalent of boring historical lesbian dramas where nothing actually happens? Question mark. If that helps you understand What's why my here? heart sings. Yeah. Throughout this whole movie, yes. Cool. The idea of falling madly in love with some dude bro who might beat you up or might cuddle you, uh, roll that dice all the time. And then being able to kind of like ride a horse up a mountain and like do stuff with your hands. That's the dream. Mm. I can't believe that I agreed to do a podcast with you. If I'd have known that I would have had to have like learned things about you like this, if I'd have... If I'd have known this, we wouldn't be here today, unfortunately. Um, Excellent. You're, you're in too deep now, mate. Uh. So, I mean, like, basically, we could go through, like, agonizing point by point exactly what happens in this act. But essentially, it's just, that's it. They just, they do, they do not, not cowboy things up a mountain. Mm-hmm. They shoot a deer. They wrestle. Oh, sure, sure. They touch mm-hmm. while they wrestle for that some of that... Cl- patented masculine intimacy they do the classic thing of kind of like are we fighting or is this Ooh. gonna turn into a kiss Ooh. who knows uh, and then i've also put the sentence ennis gets naked to wash but jack isn't looking at him he's just peeling potatoes riveting stuff <laughs> so, <laughs> and we do to be fair we do also get them opening up about each other and their backgrounds and we see there's like they're very very different so jack is very confident he's very kind of charismatic he basically just can't stop talking uh it's his main personality trait at this point he's just like a young guy who is just like loves the sound of his own voice but also potentially is a little bit like overcompensating mm-hmm. he's a rodeo boy yeah he is a rodeo right, boy yeah. bull rider and his dad was a bull rider who like never came to see him and then ennis kind of reciprocates by talking about the fact he has this like brother and sister who had to raise him and both of the like both of his siblings ended up getting married and kind of left and now he's on his own. So we kind of have them like having an actual conversation, making each other laugh and uh, playing the harmonica <laughs> together. A lot. The, the harmonica is kind of like the long running dad joke mm-hmm. that keeps on coming up in the uh, in the movie. Eventually, after they have the kind of like this opening up and they gradually get closer and closer and they decide to kind of like shirk a little bit on the responsibility of sleeping up with the sheep, they get drunk down in the camp one day. Ennis is like, oh, I'm just going to try. This is me doing a yeah, drunk yeah. thing. Um, I'm just going to try and go up to the sheep. And then he falls over and goes, I'm not going to try and go up to the sheep. Uh, uh, tries to sleep next to the fire, gets very cold. And then uh, Jack Twist invites him into the tent. Mm. It's like, oh, no, it's late. I better share a tent with you. Ooh. Mm-hmm. 
and then I just have cuddle, cuddle, kissy, kissy, roughy sex time. I just put, and then they fuck. (laughs) (laughs) We said the same thing, just slightly different ways. And then I said, which honestly just looks various levels of uncomfortable and painful. Like, did Jack pre-prepare for this eventuality? Uh, Yeah, he had an enema like 10 minutes before. He was just like, okay, you go off to the sheep. I'm just going to go to the bushes real quick. Don't don't come after me. <laughs> this is a really iconic scene, not least, uh, and in this reference quite a lot, right? So not least by uh, GBF, which I be- is our first episode where uh, we have kind of like a live reaction to. Oh, of um, course, I forgot yeah. about that. Um, it's one of my favourite scenes. It's so anything. good. Uh, basically, it, it is commented on. My goodness, how was there no foreplay? Mm-hmm. Like you, you can't. Generally, that's not Ooh, how getting, any. As- getting right to it, boys. Yeah, that's generally not how anal sex um, functions. I don't know if this is people not understanding how gay sex functions or if that is genuinely kind of like what happened at the time because there's no sex ed. You're kind of relying on instinct. Not, I mean, not to get too detailed about this, Jazza, but I, if it wasn't for the fact that everyone and their mother has talked about the fact that they were actually having anal sex... Like, I would have assumed that something else was going on. What, holding hands? What did you No, no, on? you can have, like... Or putting your thighs together? Yeah, like, inter- cur- cur- you know the fucking... I, can't, I don't know how to say that word, but... Yeah, that kind of sex, or rutting, like, rutting against each other, mm. something going on. They were doing something cute together. It wasn't, like, my entire penis is inside of you with no preparation. <laughs> but considering that Ang Lee hasn't come out to, you know, defend himself about all of these oh, actually, people. Actually, guys, actually, there was guys, no sex there was in no, this movie. There was no penis in anus sex happening, thanks. Mm-hmm. I can only assume that that was what was happening. My boys are virgins. They're, and they always will be. And so they mm-hmm. obviously do the classic, like, I ain't queer, I'm not queer either. Like, sure, boys, you keep telling yourselves that. They do have a little snuggle, and they have some little forehead mm-hmm. kisses. Which is really so cute. Very cute. And, cuddle, and then they do, like, you know, like the tender kiss where they kiss and, like, a little bit of spit is drawn oh, between them. That, oh, it's so adorable. Uh, but then, oop, Mr. Manager, Karen the Manager Man, has seen them. <laughs> I haven't even thought about calling him Karen, but he's 100% Karen the of Karen. And so essentially, like, some more cowboy stuff happens, but it's implied that they continue this relationship, like, whether whatever they decide to label it you know friends with benefits up on the mountain snuggling for Mm -hmm. warmth bros they're having a wonderful time away from society where they're actually safe and able to do this they haven't had to engage with society in any way with kind of like the romance that they've had Mm -hmm. for one another and then they kind of get blindsided by um having to bring the sheep down early and uh then beat one another up because that's what emotionally repressed men do. I literally put on there. So I put Jack Lasso's Ennis, it's cute. And then they beat the shit out of each other. And then note Jazza, (laughs) ask Jazza, is this what men do? So I'm glad that you've, (laughs) I'm glad that you've confirmed. And they do like a, because they are still like, extremely repressed for various reasons including the fact that mm. this is set pre-Stonewall like mm-hmm. this was not even if even if they were in like a very liberal place it still wouldn't have been uh, an option and they clearly are in a not very liberal place but they so they kind of have to do this awkward like one beating each other up but two basically saying like oh so are you doing this again next year like are we seeing each other yeah but Jack it's all Jack though and then Ennis has a cry like a sad little boy. But he's... it's not, e- I feel like it's not even a cry. Like he has a, a like a physical 
like retching reaction mm. like he's just said goodbye to jack actually kind of like being a bit of a dick and stonewalled yeah, him yeah you a bit. tell him Not jazza uh, like he's been like oh yeah I'm probably actually going to get married to my girl now <laughs> no homo and then as soon as Jack drives away he like dry wretches in an alley and cries and then um looks over at somebody who walks past him and goes what are you looking at um and then we cut to what this is where I end act one I did as well excellent look at us I call this act boring straight shit you know what? Agreed. Excellent. We do a hard take from Ennis vomiting in an alley to getting married. Mm-hmm. A, a seamless transfer. Uh, transition transfer, between the two. Transition. He is married to... Um, so they're about 20 at this point. Uh, he gets married to Alma, who's played by Michelle Williams. And they seem happy, have a baby... Well, you say seem happy, but I think it's no coincidence that the soundscape of this initial scene with Alma and Ennis and this baby crying is so yeah. like jarring in comparison to the silence and like gentle music of the mountain that we've had in Act One. Like it is so like oh jarring to have this like screaming baby in the background. So even though we have what should be like a domestic, like a fine scene of man and wife and child, there's there's definitely these hints that like. Ugh. Everything's not okay over here. Mm-hmm. Um, there is also something about Ennis and Alma's uh, relationship that I am confused about, and I want to talk about. Okay. Um, Are you just confused about straight people? <laughs> well, so what how does a man? One of them's a woman. Like it, I just don't understand. How does it biologically work? Where does everything slot in? And actually, speaking of that, um, he at some point there kind of like doing the the sexy kissy kissy lovey mm-hmm. lovey we're married now and then ennis flips over alma and um does anal mm-hmm. yep. to her she and it's listen jazz if you like can't it. say it, you shouldn't be having it <laughs> i I'll, I'll be honest you're no, not i'm not <laughs> yeah so, <laughs> so i don't i don't know what the it feels like an unnecessary detail and I don't know what it's meant to say. I think it's meant to say that he, like, this was not what, it wasn't like, oh, he really did, like, want this life and could have this life and he'd be totally fine and whatever. I think it's meant to apply, like, hey, remember how the men did it together? That's what he wants. But I just don't think that that translates. Like, the idea of, oh, yeah, I just turned my, um, like, she just doesn't look at me and then I'm going to pretend that she's a man. I just don't, I just don't buy that as kind of like an actual thing that a, that a real person would do. I feel like it's a very straight person visual exposition thing to do, It which reminds yeah. me very much of, like, similar sort of stereotypical scenes in movies about... Uh, Like, for example, the trans trope of, like, trans woman looks at themselves in the mirror tearfully as she does her makeup, which is, like, in every single fucking Mm -hmm. movie about trans women. And and I know so many of my trans friends are, like, gross, like, Mm -hmm. again, like, please, let's have one movie without this. And it kind of feels like that thing of, like, oh, this is what cis people assume that trans women must do, just, like, look sadly at themselves in the mirror while doing their makeup to put in there to be, like, look we are telling you something about this character. And it kind of felt similar of like, 
look, this is a gay man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And is gay because he likes anal. Mm-hmm. Like as if as if they, That's the be all they and end all. correlated. Uh, newsflash for you, listeners. More straight people do anal every year than gay people do. So. Oh my God. Thank you. Trivia Jazza. Take that to your next dinner table conversation with your uh, homophobic aunt and uncle. So yeah, to essentially to run through some of the straight uh, nonsense that happens during this act, <laughs> Jack's in the rodeo and he kind of uh, strikes out with a rodeo clown, which is he tries to uh, have a little hit, kind of, you know, like nudge and a wink, like hello to the rodeo clown. Um, and the rodeo clown is having none of it. So instead he's like, I guess I got to marry a woman. So he gets with Anne Hathaway. <laughs> Who is also in the radio? Uh, who, by the way, is essentially a drag queen. I don't. I like that's her character. I think he's tried to find the most glamorous woman um, that he possibly could mm-hmm. um, uh, in order to find to fill that void. I like that theory. And so we have essentially just like a load of vignettes of like various things happening in Ennis and Jack's lives when they have no contact with each other. So um, Ennis and his family on the fourth of July. He does fist fight some sexists, which is quite nice of him. Mm-hmm. But then he immediately is just like. My wife is the one who looks after the kids. I must go and work and just like dumps, dumps the kids on her while she's at work. And it's like, mm-hmm. okay. Uh, Jack and Lorene have a baby, Lorene. Don't know how to say her name. And then- Anne Hathaway. Anne Hathaway. They have mm-hmm. a baby, you know, it all seems to be going well. Cut to four years later and Jack sends a postcard to Ennis essentially being like, I am coming to visit. How does he know his address? are address books a thing i truly don't understand the past and so they finally reunite after many years apart and the chemistry Mm. ladies and gentlemen and otherwise is still very much there they have a kiss clearly overtaken with passion just do Mm. it outside outside ennis's house and alma fully just sees by looking out of the very visible window and I'm sure this will have no unforeseen or negative consequences. Mm-hmm. So they get this kind of like romance going. Again, it's kind of like the thing of, are we going to punch each other or are we going to make love? Mm-hmm. Um, vibe. Jake Gyllenhaal and um, uh, Heath Ledger play that line. I mean, constantly in this movie, but it's kind of hot. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm not mad about it. And then I feel like this is another part of the movie that I don't, that I... I have mixed feelings about because I think that Almo is very much painted as the victim mm-hmm. here. And I think a lot of, especially cishet people would come away from this and talk about her being kind of like the true victim of Ennis decides not to love her and runs off with like another man and cheats on her. And I think that like, obviously that does exist, but Ennis isn't the bad guy here. Shall I tell you what the bad guy is? Is it homophobia? No. It's, homophobia it's homophobia itself. Okay. Yeah. Well, because it's it's one of those things where it's like at the time, her like them getting divorced would be very hard, like both mm. socially but also like legally. I imagine at the time would have been very difficult, and so that's really tricky. But also, him being with a man is also impossible at that time. So they're mm. all kind of stuck in this impossible situation where they can't be honest with each other. They can't fulfill what each other needs like it just it's never going to work but they're kind of trapped in this situation which is kind of none of their faults and they're from these rural communities where they probably don't even really know what kind of like if she sees that she's probably going to be more confused than than anything like she would have heard stuff in yeah it's implied that they sort of have been going to get married potentially as like high school sweetheart type thing. If Ennis, yeah. I mean, I feel like Ennis definitely didn't go to high school, but like that these mm. kind of like from when they were young, like promise each other, like this is just what you do. 
And I think he really, we see that with Ennis that like he really just wants to believe that he can make it work and he can't, mm-hmm. but it's kind of this, I think both of them see it as this like, it won't, doesn't hurt anyone. Neither of our wives know about it. We're just going to go and go fishing together and make out. Fishing. Yeah, fishing every so often mm-hmm. and then come back again. And that'll be fine. We go back into kind of like a, a series of vignettes, mm-hmm. which are all gorgeous. Like Ang Lee's directing and cinematog- and the cinematography in this movie is just like absolutely phenomenal. I really like small details, like as the years go on and we continue to see them going on these trips, like once or twice a year together, we see stuff like the technology in the campsite improve so it goes from kind of like really busted pots and pans to kind of the kind of things that you'd buy in walmart and you go from like a sheepskin or, or like an animal skin tent to something that's made of like plastic and stuff like that which are details that i really mm. really enjoyed throughout this we see jack continuously or again and again try and make the case for essentially jack and ennis running away together saying we should be we should kind of like go and um start a business as like farmhands um we can get a ranch and you can kind of like come down and work for me in texas jack is desperate to change these circumstances also he's traveling up from texas Mm -hmm. to wyoming to visit ennis all of the time and ennis is also out of work half of the time because um he can't keep down a job because he runs off every six months to stay with jack in the mountains for a few weeks and jack is trying to get out of this Whereas Ennis is trapped. I think he sees like in this like time period, one of the good things about this all male, like ranch hand cowboy type life, it's kind of a double-edged sword, right? You have the masculinity of it all is tied in with homophobia, is tied in with danger in a lot of ways, but it also is a great excuse to mm-hmm. kind of be the confirmed bachelors living together, running a ranch together as, you know, like, Oh yeah, we're just, you know, two two lads being all brotherly running our ranch together. It mm. kind of would be this idea of I think for Jack like we could make this work and no one would have to know, but like we could know but it would it would be a good excuse. And we get during this section the reason why Ennis has been so has found all of this so difficult to deal with, and it's that Ennis has um not to put it mildly, quite a lot of trauma where this is concerned, because mm-hmm. he uh, had to deal with seeing the dead body of a gay man that had been mutilated and killed in his hometown when he was nine, showed to him by his dad, who maybe was the one who did it. So mm-hmm. it feels like it makes a lot more sense that Ennis really does all of these scenes that we see him in where he is feeling these feelings of queerness or experiencing this, that his first instinct is to violence because it's always been tied up with violence to him. You know, him shouting at them after he was crying early on in the alleyway, missing Jack, like shouting at that guy, getting angry is his first response to being seen as vulnerable. And so we're starting to get a sense of like, ah, right, yes, this is what's going on with Ennis this entire time. And we, after kind of, as this is going on, we also have all of these vignettes of like Alma and Jack arguing, things kicking off, like the kids don't even seem to notice because it's clearly such a a kind of normal expected occurrence for them. Alma has clearly never mentioned it all these years. She's kind of trying, but it's just not really working. They kind of, uh, it's implied that they're not really having sex anymore. And so- Oh my God, the the line, it is like the biggest smackdown where they go to have sex and she says, we should use protection. And he goes- why aren't you going to have my kids? And she's like, I'll have them if you support them. 
Ooh. And then they divorce in the next And scene. then they divorce. Mm-hmm. And he has to, Ennis has to pay child support in like the mid-1960s, $125, which is a month, uh, which is about $2,000 a month in today's money, mm. which is so much money. I think it's the mid-70s, by the way. Is it by that point? Maybe it's I less than $2,000. I think it's 1975. Okay, thank you. <laughs> so, okay, I put in an artificial split here. Because I was like, oh, this feels like it's a natural split. But I think there's like a fourth, there's like another split afterwards, maybe. Mm-hmm. I deliberately didn't put it here because I needed to have an act that was called the party oh, in its okay, aftermath. Cool. So in which it, case, mine just comes at the party in its aftermath. Forget, forget that there's a split. This is still act two. <laughs> so at this point, the divorce has happened. So Jack, bless him, is like, oh, okay, we'll finally get together. Mm. Uh, unfortunately, not so. Ennis basically is like, I have my kids kind of visiting once a month. I can't meet up with you while this is happening. Like this isn't gonna work. And so Jack, it's Jack's turn to cry. And he goes to Mexico for some no strings attached sex with international sex workers. Very healthy thing to do. International sex sex worker with me. I know, right? And so it's very much, I think one of the things that's really interesting about all these scenes with Jack is that he clearly, like Ennis has just been repressed this entire time. And I feel like his stuff with Jack feels very much like the first time he's let himself do anything, even if he's maybe felt it before and repressed it. Whereas with Jack, he like knows, because obviously there were gay men at the time and these gay men were trying to find each other. And so he knows the right way to look at someone to kind of see if they're up for something. He knows the right places to go mm-hmm. to get His sex. gaydar is pinging. It's incredible. But we also mm. kind of know that that is dangerous. Like Ennis has said, like what can happen if you're caught? We know that that is um, something that might go wrong. He might give that look to the wrong person. He might, and we sort of saw it as well when he had that moment with the rodeo clown of like, all it would take was that guy to go back to the guys he was drinking with and follow Jack out into an alleyway. And that could end Mm. very differently. And so we have kind of Jack and Lurina still together at this point, but very much, we see the tension between them. We see the fact that like Lurine's dad is always undermining Jack. I love that scene so with much. With the with like the Thanksgiving. Yeah, the Thanksgiving carving thing the turkey like, with an electric um, carving knife. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, they kind of go to and fro, turning off and turning on the TV. And then Jack snaps and goes, "You are a guest in my house, and you will sit the fuck down." I just love. And Lurine is like really into that. She's like, yeah, yeah. You see, he goes, sit down, you son of a bitch. Yeah, (laughs) love it. And then we also finally, even after the divorce has happened, uh, we finally get Alma confronting Ennis about Mm. all his time at a Thanksgiving dinner. At the Thanksgiving dinner, where um, Ennis is a invitee, Mm. a guest, a guest, an invitee. Where he's a guest for Alma and her new husband, who was the boss at the at the at the club, mm. uh, who was the clerk at the convenience store, and she says that she once, when she, he was going off to fish with Jack, she put a note on the rod and said, "Please bring us back some fish." And then he came back, opened it up, and it hadn't been touched. And she goes, "Jack twist, Jack, Jack nasty." nasty. <laughs> I, that line. Iconic. Yeah, iconic. This this movie, I think because there is so little dialogue, they do, but they do so much with mm-hmm. it. All of it's so memorable. It's brilliant. Yeah. So essentially, this does not go well, this confrontation. This isn't like a quiet, you know, like I know what was going on. 
obviously our marriage was never going to work it's over mm-hmm. now like and it was i'm an ally now you know or, or or even like the opposite of just being like i you know let's not tell the girls like keep this quiet blah 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 he again his instinct is violence his instinct is to try and fight he goes to to punch mm-hmm. her she starts screaming he like storms out and we have some more vignettes we have we have some more montages we got some more small short scenes so we have like mm-hmm. one scene or two scenes where he has this short-lived romance with a waitress played by linda card alini who is velma who is velma yeah she's Scooby-Doo. very she's the gay royalty um so she's a character that isn't in the short no. story and i do not understand why she is in this movie no. oh i think it's i guess like it's just ennis try like he's emphasizing again how much he's just trying to be straight like he's really given it his best shot but i don't think he is she imposes herself on him i don't understand how it progresses his character other than being like oh yeah definitely never gonna marry again Mm, just just checking in checking Mm. it in and then we also simultaneously again have this storyline with louis and jack where they make friends with a couple randall and Lashawn. uh randall played by david harbour and 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 Anna mm-hmm. Ferris playing LaShawn. Icons both of them. I totally forgot that they were in here. <laughs> Every time it shocks me. Um and all I can see is scary movie and stranger yeah, things. Yeah, essentially that's exactly what it is. <laughs> yeah. Just house bunny and stranger things. And so Randall and Jack start having a thing. I suggest that LaShawn and Lorene can kiss too. Easy breezy. That's so, so kind of everything is great. But apparently that's not oh, that where they wanted to go. Um Oh well. So we also have some scenes of the boys together at this point. So mm. they have a lot of very romantic lines that they say to each other, very desperate, very longing. Sometimes I miss you so much I can hardly stand it. Lots mm. of quiet moments, short confessions. Basically the mm-hmm. MO for this entire movie. It's basically the the trailer fodder. Yeah, exactly. That happens in this section exactly. of the movie. And then Ennis basically like he can't see Jack for a while. Jack's not be able to see him for a while. Jack's very sad. Ennis is very sad. Ennis is gonna cry a bit. Jack's gonna give him a hug. He's gonna resist the hug, but eventually lean into it. All of that, all that classic stuff that just makes their relationship so them, you know? I feel like this is the scene in the movie. Though. Yeah. Like everybody remembers the no lube fucking. Mm-hmm. Um, but but I they think should remember is... the I wish they I knew should. how to quit you scene. It, uh, it, yeah. <laughs> I cry at the scene every time. It's really like all of this internalized homophobia and wishing that you weren't like this comes bubbling to the surface especially for Ennis uncontrollably it just kind of erupts from him and also this is scattered with amazing lines where Jack tells Ennis I'm not like you I I can't make it on a couple of high altitude fucks once or twice a year (laughs) (laughs) amazing and then Ennis's kind of like confession and realization I guess that it's because you that I'm like this Mm. and he doesn't just mean kind of like gay I don't like they they never describe themselves with that they explicitly say i'm not queer for example but it's not just the fact that he's queer it's because he's stuck he's been in this economic precarity um so that he can quit and go and see jack two or three times a year whenever Mm -hmm. he wants so he's been stuck in this loop he's been anchored to his kids through child support and he just kind of like breaks down but then at the end of it there's the flashback to when they were 19-year-old boys on Brokeback Mountain. And uh, oh. Jack is... It's all right, Jack Jess. Is... It's okay, Jess. You don't need to cry. Shut You're up. just remembering the movie. Uh, it's not happening. And They're Jack, not real, Jessa. And, and Jack is standing and sleeping and Ennis comes around and like hubs him from the back and it's one of the... It's the, the most tender point in the movie. Mm-hmm. And that juxtaposition of them kind of like clashing and 
using anger as their as their language and then going back to kind of like the basis the foundation that this was all built on man gets me every fucking time and how this didn't win best picture i don't understand is this the point at which you go to act three no how do you still have more what is act three one scene for you uh act three you know when you very quickly said the other couple come along Mm mm-hmm in the party. Oh, I'm sorry. We skipped right past splitting into We have three. skipped right past um, the party in its aftermath. I've also provisionally called this bit homophobia hurts everyone. Oh, okay. Very serious. Let's mm-hmm. let's keep it yeah. the part of its aftermath. Because I was thinking like, this is the big major turn, right? We have the like hypothetical act two ending of like, I, I wish I knew how to quit you. And then mm. we essentially have later time skip. Ennis has just done the 1970s version of ghosting by not returning any of this waitress's postcards or whatever. Mm-hmm. And we never think of Velma from Scooby-Doo And then again. she's, that's it. His postcards that he's been sending to Jack come back with a deceased stamp across them. Mm. I don't understand how that works. That's kind of like a function. So whoever is, so he was living obviously with his wife. So his wife would mm. take, like you would have your, your address and the person you were sending it to address. I imagine that you would report the person dead. And so when that mail came into the post office, they would know to stamp it and return uh, it. Um, uh, or I guess if you haven't reported it, you could take it back to the office and be the post office and be like, this is for someone who's no longer kind of alive and get them to deal with it rather than having to like ring people and be like, hey, mm. you just sent me something. So the story is that Jack died in an accident at the side of the road. He was trying to change a car tire. It exploded in the face. Very graphically, it's kind of described by his wife as like leaving him to drown in his own blood, like no one was around, no one found him. Mm. But Ennis imagines Jack's death as a violent murder instead, potentially due to his fear and trauma, getting the best of him, or maybe ambiguously that was what actually happened and Lurene has given a cover story and that's just what they're kind of telling people happened instead because Mm. I think the idea of like a car tire exploding in his face seems reasonably unusual like it's not exactly like a common occurrence so it maybe seems just far-fetched enough to be like oh this could be like a cover for a reason why someone had Mm. had had like quite a violent death in the middle of nowhere but it's the realization of ennis's ultimate fear right yeah that and the reason that they couldn't like run away together yeah and it happened anyway Mm. like Mm. even though even though that he didn't he wasn't brave and he didn't do the thing that he ultimately wanted to do and that might have made him happy the fear was the fear came true anyway like it didn't really matter and he Mm. i guess there's that kind of real melancholy of like i could have had it and it would have ended the same way but i would have been Mm. able to have it while i did Mm. as opposed to like i denied myself apart from these small glimpses and it still ended like this anyway like what the fuck was i doing and so he essentially is it's listening to this story from this woman who we kind of don't know at this point like does she know like we knew that alma knew but do we think that lurie knew do we think she didn't care do you think she was uh, kind of we're not sure but he she basically just almost in a throwaway line says you know like he used to say he wanted his ashes scattered on brokeback mountain and wow stabbed me in the fucking heart mate the idea of like this was something that was even after all these years like where he wanted to be left Mm. where he was happiest they talk about it being like where there were the springs spilled with whiskey Mm -hmm. and at this point you know like Anne Hathaway's acting in this scene is brilliant because you know on the phone that she offers to basically be like can you scatter his ashes and burn it back mountain she wants his ashes to be scattered where he wanted them but she she's like this is not for me to do and also like I just can't Mm. I I 
it's kind of that like I want the best for him in death, but I but like also kind of fuck him. Like I don't want to be the person mm. who has to deal with like doing this wish, which has nothing to do with me in his final moments. And so Ennis is the one who has to take the ashes that were sent up to his um to Jack's family and try and basically ask to scatter them. Mm-hmm. Uh Jack's father refuses. Says no. He says no. And it, it it's very I mean, it's not even implied. I feel like it's it's made reasonably clear that he knew exactly what was going on between Jack and Ennis. And so mm. did Jack's mum. But Jack's mum seems a lot more supportive as supportive far as you mother. could be. You know, like puts mm-hmm. his hand on Ennis's shoulder, tells him to go and see Jack's room, asks to for him to come back and see them again, even mm. as allows him to take those two shirts. Yeah. So right. uh, so Ennis goes up to Jack's room and his shirt and Ennis's shirt are both in the wardrobe, which was such a throwaway line at the time back in that scene. And it's basically, it's just like, I can't believe I left my shirt up on the mountain, like for fuck's sake, kind of implying at the time, like, oh, he's so, they're so dirt poor that buying another shirt is going to really affect him financially. Mm. When actually what has happened is Jack has kept the shirt from their brawl, which is covered Covered in in blood blood. of both of them. Mm. And I don't think I realized that the first time I watched this, I thought that that was confirmation that he had been murdered. I thought that that was the shirt he was wearing. I fully didn't realize that that was what was going on until I rewatched it this time and was like, oh, that, it was from the brawl. It wasn't from like his death. It wasn't meant to symbolize anything. But they have their two shirts, like one on top of each other on this hanger. And Jack's mom basically lets him keep the clothes after she's given him a moment to basically smell these shirts and like break down mm. in the old like bedroom of this man that he loved kind of comes downstairs and we end because like we we're not going to end a ha- with a happy ending now like we're not going to end with this like beautiful you know these two men finally figure it out they get their ranch together whatever we end with this scene of Alma Junior his daughter who has always kind of held him in in high esteem, who's kind of wanted to come and live with him instead of her mother and everything is now getting married. Like she's, we've got this new generation coming up. She's where Ennis was when he was the age he met Jack. And um, we basically see as the final kind of image of the movie that Jack has kept the shirts. He swapped the order of the shirts over, I guess implying that he's worn them, he's taken them out. Like it's Ennis holding Jack, like all of these kind Mm. of implications next to a postcard of Brokeback Mountain. And Mm -hmm. we're left with a really ambiguous ending that a lot of people have been debating as to like where they think that goes next because he he ends on quite an ambiguous line as well. And whether it is like he's never gonna get over Jack, whether it is he's ready to move on, like people have argued for all of the different interpretations. And like, ultimately we don't don't know. It's kind of up to the viewer to decide what happens next for Ennis. Until they make Brokeback Mountain 2 return to the to the mountain (laughs) it's just a fun set in set in 2021 just two unrelated Mm non-cowboys yeah and that's the end of brokeback mountain yeah it's all right yeah it's all right it's an all right movie (laughs) okay so now it's time as always, for our very special gay ratings, each of us is going to give the movie a score out of six, essentially. So how many colours of the rainbow flag are we giving it and which colours in particular? So Jazza, what have you decided for Brokeback Mountain? So I can't be unbiased here because this is one of the most... I was like 16, 17 when this movie came out. And this was the movie that I 
so we rented it from Blockbuster mm-hmm. on like an evening and then I stole it. Uh, so said, oh my God, we can't find it. Where's it gone? And stole that copy. And it was the the movie that I watched again and again and again. Do you think your parents knew? They were like, oh, wow, where 100%. did that go? <laughs> it was it was that and the poor <laughs> I think. Classic. That just made the co- my coming they out, figured it out. Uh, easier. Yeah. Um, Are you going with six? I'm going, yeah, I'm, I'm giving them all six. Oh, damn. Mm, yeah, I can't give it anything less. It was so... It just came in the time of my life that was so uh, that was so pivotal for me. It was the first time I'd seen kind of like uh, gay men on film, really. Yeah. Yeah, it was fucking brilliant. How about you? I am less less enthused. I won't take it any any fewer than six, Rowan. I can't believe that you're doing How this to me. I okay. <laughs> I'm gonna. I'm giving an extra one than what I would would have given it, just because of the historic nature of it. <laughs> Oh god, I really don't. Okay. Now I'm now I'm like, oh man. I mean, if it's any fewer than four, I'm going to be really. It's furious, not fewer than. Might have to... It's not. It is four. Okay. I think. Okay. Oh, I, okay. Don't, I feel like I'm really. You were I'm gonna disapp- give it I feel three? like I'm disappointing Daddy Jazza. I just. You are. I just didn't enjoy it. I just found it very boring. Like I wish I hadn't, oh but I was my just like, god. oh, it's fine. I know. Look at me. I'm, oh, so you just have bad. I just taste. have really bad taste. Yeah. I just like it when movies things happen in movies. Call me old fashioned. <laughs> <laughs> Um, uh, hey, I'm gonna say this, this shit is right up my alley. Mm-hmm. Like it's loads of beautiful cinematography, minimal dialogue, yeah. like and kind of like breaks the mold of what mm-hmm. this type of movie is meant to be. This is catnip for me. I understand. I understand, Rowan. I that, get it, bitch. I get that, it. That you'd rather it were a period lesbian. No, drama I don't like period lesbian dramas. That's the thing. Like that's why I asked about it. is this the equivalent because I really don't like that as a genre. Like I, Handmaiden mm-hmm. is is like the exception for me. And like Gentleman Jack as well, right, maybe, because yeah, actually stuff yeah. happens and they have personalities, but mm-hmm. like... But sitting down and reading. Um, sure, okay. So I'm going to give it, the four I'm going to give it, nature, obviously. It's on a mountain. It's in the name. <laughs> green. <laughs> it's green as one stripe. Sunlight, two, there's sun. In there, three, spirit. Those boys got spirit. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm going to go, my fourth one will be healing because I just hope that they're okay after that sex scene. And so... <laughs> I hope that Jack healed up. Yeah, afterwards. I hope that that was... I hope he had all four of those stripes. So I think those are the, that's my... That's my final, final decision. Great. Good job. Um, hey, let us know on Twitter how many colours of the rainbow flag you would have given it, dear listener. And also which ones. I feel like I, I, I want to know the, the, the meanings behind those particular colours you picked as well. Uh, and that pretty much is... That's it for our discussion of Brokeback mm-hmm. and queer question mark Western movies as a genre. Question. Thank you so much for listening. You can follow us on Twitter to keep up to date with everything podcast related. If you feel entertained, please do think about supporting us over on Patreon. Our patrons really do allow us to put in the hours of research and recording that goes into these episodes. So sincerely, thank you. One of our perks on Patreon is a queer movie watch-along every last Saturday of the month exclusively for our patrons hosted on our Discord. Gay fun really is had by all, so come join us. The Queer Movie Podcast is edited by Julia Shafini. We're also part of Multitude Productions, so make sure you check out all of their other awesome podcasts full of both fun and frivolity. Make sure you follow and subscribe to this here podcast so that you are primed for our next episode episode 
Thank you very much, my darlings. You will hear us very soon. Toodaloo. Uh, bye.